time. I think that'll do the trick. Okay. Should I hold it like this while I talk? Okay. Sound okay now? I think we're good. I think we're good. We can make this work. Fuzz, fuzz, fuzz. You got that clip on you? Maybe if I take it back out of my pocket and... All right, we'll try this out. This is probably going to work better. See, there's a limit to everything except God. There's a limit to technology. You can't take pieces off of it and have it work right. Who'd have thought, right? <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to get back to our journey of faith that we've been on for the past few weeks. And just to jump back real quick and, and review for those of you who missed, last week we learned from Abraham as he set on a journey to an unknown, unknown land by faith. We learned from him as he trusted God with the unknown that was ahead of him and the challenges that he was going to face. We remember also that difficulties came, discouragements came, because he was kind of brought to the promised land, but he couldn't actually settle in the promised land because the Canaanites were already there. And so he had to look on that promise from afar, but God continued to reassure him and reaffirm him. Um, remember, difficulties may come, but God will be there for us as we walk by faith. Today we're going to continue our journey by looking at how Abraham responds when things are impossible. When things are impossible. Let's pray a minute. Father God, as we come to you and... Uh, we recognize that there's lots of um, things in our world that break down and fall apart or don't work the way we thought. Um, we don't want to be distracted by those. God, we come to you. We want to worship you. We want to exalt your name. And uh, we want to know you better. And we want to better follow you in our walk of faith. And so I ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning and that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have many different ideas of what impossible is in our lives. See, I forgot that too. I'm doing good this morning. You're ahead of me, though. Okay. We have different ideas of what a possible is in our lives. For some of us, you get that, you buy that cabinet, and it's got, like, Chinese instructions or no instructions with it, and all these random weird parts, and you're just overwhelmed. You're like, uh, I don't know what to do to put this thing together. Okay? Um, for, for other people like a mom of three kids or more, keeping the house clean seems like an impossible task, doesn't it? It's just one of those things that's just hard to get accomplished, okay? Maybe, for a couple of you who have experienced this, changing over to a new system at work. <laughs> I think both Cathy's are going through that right now. <laughs> uh, uh, so anyway, um, these are things that seem impossible and are frustrating, okay? There are different concepts of impossible there's also the superhuman feats or amazing rescues, or you may call them miracles. I'm going to read to you a few examples. 1982, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, Angela Cavallo lifted a 1964 Chevy Impala from her son, Tony, after it fell off the jacks that had held it up while he worked underneath the car. 
Miss Cavallo lifted the car high enough and long enough for two neighbors to replace the jacks and pull Tony out from beneath the car. In Wisconsin, when a boat capsized, Meyer lost sight of her two children. God gave her uncommon strength to lift her two-year-old son, Tim, out from under the boat. Miraculously, he had found a pocket of air, so the 90 seconds underwater did not drown him. After Meyer's mother found her four-year-old daughter, Emily, and everyone was back safely ashore, the grandmother started to have her heart a heart attack. Had the heart attack started when we were in the water, she would surely have drowned, the witnesses said. Even then, God still had another miracle to reveal. When Emily was one underwater, she had seen a man that no one else had noticed. Grandma, she explained, the man under the water, he grabbed my foot and put it in your hand. A young man in the States woke up with a burden to pray for his brother. His brother Dan was in trouble in Israel. Running out of money, he had chosen to sleep on a park bench for the night. In the wee hours of the morning, a snarling dog woke him up, battling with a chicken underneath his bench that he was sleeping on. How rude. Unable to break up the animals, Dan found another bench and resumed his sleep. The next morning, a bomb exploded right next to the first bench, hurtling it through the air, leaving a mess of tangled metal and concrete. A man had been in an accident and had been paralyzed for 20 years. However, after a freak bite from a brown recluse spider, interesting, I don't think I would advise experimenting with this, but it reactivated his nerves, and he is now able to get around using a walker. Interesting stories. Even more miraculous than many of these stories are there those which there are no explanations other than God. You could blame some of those things on adrenaline or a vision or a coincidence or the venom of the spider and explain things scientifically if you want. But what about miracles that only the power of God is explainable? Okay? Um, I know a man uh, who had cancer in his throat. And he went out to Mayo Clinic and he had surgery on his throat and they removed cancer and it was really painful surgery. Um, got back home a while later, the cancer showed up again. He went back, had surgery again. He's back home. And then when he did his checkup, they said, okay, we see some cancer again in your throat. At this point, he's very discouraged, and he asked everyone to gather around him and pray for him. And they prayed with him, and when he went to Mayo Clinic, they said, we can't find any cancer. There's nothing here. And he hasn't had a problem since. Okay? Um... Another example, uh, two people in my life, there was one until this past week, have survived from a parachute fall. Um, my uncle, his parachute did not open out of his pack properly, and he fell all the way to the ground, broke lots of things, but now he's living and walking and just fine. That was a miracle. He should have died. Katie's brother this past week in a training exercise, his chute and another guy's chute got tangled, and they frantically tried to untangle and cut things and I guess were able to do this just before they hit the ground enough to slow them enough that both of them came out of that without a broken bone. Um, God was there. God was there. Or today, as we're going to talk about, opening a barren mother's womb. Would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through... We're today... We're going to be all over the place because this story really goes from 
chapter 15 all the way through chapter 21. So bear with me as we kind of jump around and grab certain passages. And, uh, but we're going to read this as our base passage today. 17, 1 through 7, and then 15 through 9. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And jumping down to verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and more of all, I will, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a woman who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for your offspring after him. Abram has made his way to the promised land. But he's a nomad in the land that God promised him. A nomad, wandering, nomad, setting up tents, okay? This wasn't what he expected, but God continues to remind him of his promises that he made. In chapter 14, I've got to catch up to us here. Okay, in chapter 14, there it is, okay? In chapter 14, Abraham rescues Lot from a multi-tribal war that's going on. And then the king of Sodom, in thanks for this, because they kind of helped him in this war, the king of Sodom offers treasure to Abraham. But he remembers God's promise to make him a great nation, and so he leaves that in God's hands, and he, he doesn't accept this gift from the king of Sodom, which we know Sodom and Gomorrah was an evil place. All right? And he doesn't accept their help. He trusts in God for that promise God has given. In chapter 15, Abraham is wondering about the promise that God has made back in chapter 13, okay? And that's where we're going to start today, okay? Back in chapter 13, God said, All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Abram's wondering about this promise that he made. He's thinking about it, and he's thinking, Okay, I've got a barren wife and no kids. How is this going to work? How is this going to work? I don't think he's questioning God's ability, but he's questioning the means by which God is going to accomplish what is a p- impossible, humanly speaking. And so that's where we're going to start today, the problem with the promise. Okay, the problem with the promise. The first question is, where does the air come from? Look at 15, 1 through 3. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer, of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir. Okay, according to the law, the custom of the day, 
if you had no offspring, then the highest servant in your house would then become heir. But what happens? You lose your family name, don't you? It now becomes your servant's family name after that. Okay, so Abraham is thinking about this, and he's concerned, and he's like, how is this going to happen? Because right now, as it stands, my servant Eliezer is going to be the one who becomes the heir and the inheritant of my family. Abraham longs for a true heir, but he doesn't know how that's going to happen. And so he asks that, what will you give me? It's like, how can this be? How, how is this going to happen? And I was thinking about that. We often ask God, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to do. God, give us an answer. I mean, we, 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 it's, it's so much easier. We, we, we want to know what's coming. We want to know how it's going to work. And sometimes we're spending all our efforts trying to figure it out. And God says, well, you've got to trust me. You've got to have faith. If I give you all the answers, are you trusting me or are you just trusting in yourself? Faith. Okay, the second problem is if it is Sarai, then it defies natural law or science. And there's some verses that I just want to share with you about that. Um, and you don't have to follow me here. I'm just going to read them. 16, 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Okay, and we're going to stop there for now. Um, in 17, verse 7, sorry, 17, verse 17, it says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then uh, chapter 18, verses 11 and 12, speak more to it again. Uh, okay. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Okay, just getting a little of the idea here of the fact that the real problem here is, okay, can God open a womb that has been shut for probably 75 years? Can a woman's cycle begin again after it has ceased for 30 years? I mean, I don't know when menopause happened back then, but I'm just taking a guess here, okay? Does Abraham still have what it takes to be a father at 100 years old? These are real questions, Okay? If Sarah is to have the seed, it defies the laws of nature, of science, of human reasoning. This isn't possible. Okay? And the third problem, or proposal, and I might have missed it. No, it's just over here in a weird spot, is um, after all of that, we'll just go on. Okay. And the third problem was kind of more of a proposal. Could it be through another woman? Could there be another way? Okay? But now we're going to look at the faith solution. Chapter 15, back to chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 now. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed 
the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so God answers his question about the servant. The servant won't be your heir. Your very own son, your offspring, will be your heir. And as numerous as the stars will come from that. Okay, and then we see Abraham's reaction to this. He believed. He had faith in the Lord. The little interpretation there, trusted in. He trusted in God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. Okay? The cause of our justification of being made right before God is faith. And it has always been faith. Okay? Let's remember our theme verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Okay? Believe that he is. He is who he says he is. Okay? God says he is the great I am. He is the only true God. He is the eternally unchanging existent one. Okay? He is a loving Father. He is a gracious Father. He is a holy Father. Okay? Believing in who God is and putting your trust in that. Okay? Abraham believed in the Lord. All right, and I want to take you to a few, few verses that talk about that more. Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, uh, I want to go back just to get the context here a little bit. Um, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law? No, or by hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it wasn't by works, it was by Abraham's faith that he was made righteous, even though it was in the Old Testament. Okay, let's move on and look at Romans chapter 4, 3. talks about this, okay? What then shall we say? I'm going to start in verse 1. Was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then a Hebrews 11, verses 11 through 13, speak of this as well. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him speaking of her belief in God, faithful who had promised. Okay? She trusted in who God was and in the promise that he had made. She believed that this was possible, and so by faith she received the power to conceive. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as stars in heaven, as as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And we talked about that last week, how Abraham was looking forward to the future promise, even though he wasn't able to possess it at that moment. Okay, and so there was a faith in God, in who he was, and in what he is able to do. Okay? Then we're going to look at 
man's attempted solution. I'm sorry for how this is laid out a little differently than I thought. But man's attempted solution. We're going to go to chapter 16 now. And I lost my place. Genesis 16, verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Okay. And I think most of us know that a lot of problems came out of that. Um, but this is what I want to focus on here. This is man's attempted solution, okay? Okay, so God said it wasn't going to be the servant. He said it's going to be one of your offspring, okay? But it's still not clear to Abraham, okay, my wife's barren. How are you going to accomplish this? Okay, I can have offspring through a different woman, so Sarah's probably wondering the same things because I assume they've had a conversation about the promises that God has made. And she says, um, Sarah's, she had borne no children. She had a servant. So she says, since the Lord's prevented me from bearing children, why don't you go into my servant? Maybe this is the solution. Maybe this is the answer to the problem. Um, how often do we try to figure it out on our own. Use our own wisdom to try to solve the problem that's before us instead of trusting in God and sometimes even waiting when we don't like waiting and being patient to see how God is going to work to solve that situation. This was clearly not God's best or his design. We know in the beginning in Genesis he says, man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. It was, however, the legal custom of the day. That brings about another point. Okay? It's tempting sometimes to look to the world's solutions. Okay? The culture says, if your wife can't provide you an heir, it's okay for you to take one of your servants as your wife. And if she has a child, your wife, okay, in this case, Sarah, would actually be able to claim that son from the servant as her own son. And it would become the heir. That was the custom of the day. So logical, according to how the world is doing this, this could work. But do we look at the world for our standard? No. We trust God and what he has said in his word, okay? We know just because something is acceptable in our society today certainly does not mean it's right or okay or good. I think we all can see that as we look on our world's condition right now. The next thing we realize is there were a lot of disasters and frustrations and complications that came out of this relating to the whole Arab Muslim nation because they claim that because of Ishmael, they have a claim at the promise. They have a claim at the promised land. They have a claim on the covenant that God made with Abraham. Okay, so because of man's attempt here, we've got a complication. Okay, a problem that really has never gone away. So we're going to look at the next part. God, God's reassurance and clarification. Okay, we've seen all along how God continued, kind of comes in and, 
and redirects and reassures and encourages as we try to walk by faith because we all fail. We all have discouragements. There's times where we attempt to do it ourselves and we learn lessons. We got to trust God. We should have trusted God with that first. Okay? Um, and so here we see God's reassurance and clarification. We're going to chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, and this is actually given in a corrective tone. Think back to what just happened with Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael. Okay, God says, I am the Lord, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So there's a little bit of a strong tone here from God of correction. You didn't do this the right way. You should have trusted me and waited. Okay, but then God is gracious and reaffirms and encourages Abraham as well. Okay, so there's a tone of correction here. And uh, so then we continue on. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. So you recognize here, he recognizes, you know, that he has sinned against the Lord, that he has failed in trusting God with this, and he feels that correction from God, okay? And God continues and says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Okay? Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of nations. All right? So part of his affirmation is says, I'm even going to change your name to show you how real this promise is. Okay? And then he goes on, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come for you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations forever for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And um, I think we skip down to verse 15 actually. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And Sarai meant my princess, like speaking of Abraham's princess, which is kind of a cute pet name for a wife, right? My princess. Um, um, but God changes it to Sarah, meaning princess for all races, because he talks about how kings are going to come from their line and from their descendants. And so he changes the meaning of her name. Your offspring will come from Sarah. He's specific here, he says. Um, I will bless, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. God answers his questions now. He gets very specific. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings and people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And listen to this. This is important because Muslims claim that they have a right to the covenant. Listen to what it says here. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Okay, he says, not Ishmael. Isaac is the one I'm going to establish my covenant with. Okay, so some important things here. The name changing as kind of a confirming of God's promise, his affirmation of Abraham. He specifically tells her, okay, tells Abraham, okay, your offspring is going to come from Sarah. Even though you can't believe that, she will have a time, child this time next year. So God gets specific 
in answering his questions. And then he's specific about the covenant. It will be with Isaac, not with Ishmael. He even gives the name of what this son's going to be. He's going to call him Isaac. Okay? So then we're going to move on and just talk about Abraham and Sarah's reactions, okay, from various passages. Um, I just thought that was really neat to see how they reacted as they saw what God was doing and as the picture became more clear. Verse 17, 17, we saw that Abraham fell on his face before the Lord and he laughed. It was a reaction of shock and joy before God. Can this be? Is this really possible? I'm amazed, God. You know what I mean? And chapter 18, verses 12 through 15, you see Sarah's reaction, and it's kind of shock mixed with a little bit of doubt. And she kind of lies out of fear to God. She's like, you know, because God's, it's an angel of the Lord that comes and declares this to Abraham, but this angel of the Lord is really God himself. Okay, and it says that he, he could hear what Sarah was saying or thinking in the tent. You know, even though she wasn't right there, she overheard their conversation, and so she laughs, and and he says, so, Sarah, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. You know, <laughs> a reaction of fear and doubt. And yet you see God being really gracious in his response to him. Her, she says, yes, you did. That's all he says. Yes, you did. And he continues on with the promise. Okay, 21, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, we see um, the reaction as the child is born. Okay, let me read that to you. The Lord visited Sarah, and he said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight years old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And remember, back then, laughter is considered joy, rejoicing. So it's not mockery. Ha, ah, she's an old lady and she just had a baby. You know? <laughs> Look at... <laughs> I mean, no, this is, this is rejoicing. They're going to be rejoicing because in those days, it was shame for a wife to not be able to have a child. And there's going to be rejoicing over her for her being able to have this child. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said... Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. God has brought them joy. He has given Sarah honor as an old woman. And she kind of is like, oh, the stories that are going to be told about this one. You know, who would have said? Who would have said? Who would have thought? Oh, the stories that are going to be told about this. With God, nothing is impossible. I want to just look back over some of the ground we've covered real quickly and just show you again how God has defied the impossible. Chapter 20, verse 17 and 18, listen to this. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God is the one who opens and closes wombs. And here he opened Sarah's womb when she had been barren for years and years and years, and it would seem medically impossible. 18, verses 12 through 15, 
you see laughter, you see shock and doubt. Whoops, sorry, I'm in the wrong spot, okay. Um, all right, I lost my place. Okay, we're talking about with God, nothing is possible. Let's look back at how God has defied the impossible. First of all, he defies human reasoning. He defies human reasoning, and we saw that in the fact that he opens and closes the womb, and he had opened Sarah's womb. Okay? Some of the things that were said, uh, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 3, what will you give me because I continue childless? How is this possible? How is it going to work? How is it going to happen? Are there times when we also stand on the brink of what seems too difficult or too, awesome, too impossible in our lives to, to accomplish or to even imagine? And we say, well, what have I gotten myself into? How is this problem going to be solved? I can't see any answer or any way out of this. We need to remember, as God said to Sarah, nothing is impossible for God. Here he overcomes any physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual obstacles. And he says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Chapter 18, verse 14. You know what's interesting? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary, what did he say? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. He said almost the exact same thing to Mary when, by the Holy Spirit, he was going to make her pregnant with Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing, okay? Um, just thinking about Jesus Christ for a minute, the demons trembled and fled at the name of Jesus. He raised the dead. He, he healed multiple different kinds of ailments and sicknesses. A woman stopped having a bleeding problem just by touching him. I mean, that story just amazes me, okay? It leaves us in shock, just like Abraham's response and Sarah's response. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who could have ever imagined that this would be possible or this could have happened? God can, because God can do the impossible. Is anything too difficult for me? So how do we respond with faith for the impossible? How do we respond with faith for the impossible? It does not matter the distance, the disease, or the doctor's prediction. I'm going to read to you Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, because I think it's, it's just one of the incredible miracles that Jesus performed. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, listen to this, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This man believed that God could do anything. It didn't matter the distance. It didn't matter the disease or the obstacle. It doesn't matter what you're facing. He believed God could do anything. He believed, hey, you don't have to be there. You don't have to touch this guy. You can just say the word and he'll be healed. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The implication is here, this Gentile centurion soldier, because of his demonstration of faith, is going to be in eternity, reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these great men of faith. Because he believed that with God, anything is possible. Are we praying in faith for God to do great things as a church? We should be. As individuals, with the things we're facing in our lives, are we praying in faith, saying, Lord, I believe that you can move this mountain. God, I don't see a solution to this problem, but God, I believe that you can heal this marriage. God, I believe that you can help us with this financial difficulty. Are we asking for opportunities to share Christ? This is something that I've been convicted of, and at different times I've done while practicing this in my life. Waking up in the morning and in my devotion time, and I'm talking with the Lord, saying, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I ask that you would bring me an opportunity to share Christ with someone. And so many times he has done that. Something just totally weird has happened that day where I've been able to talk to someone about the Lord. Are we as a church, are we as people praying for opportunities to make a difference? Because God wants to accomplish the impossible. And lastly, are we believing as Abram, as the centurion soldier, are we believing that he can accomplish it? Remember, Jesus said, if a man has faith as big as a mustard seed, he can say to this mountain, move, and it will be cast into the sea. I'm going to just end with one more story. Um, the story of someone who is redeemed. Uh, Okay, this is a story from uh, a book, and it says, It recounts God's grace towards a man named Paul Hallway, a man whose pain and a possible demonic possession led him to murder his own eight-year-old sister when he was 12 years old. After five years in prison, Holloway got addicted to drugs, alcohol, and women. Finally, in a point of desperation, he went to the church. He shared his life with a pastor and prayed for God's forgiveness. And it says here, forgiveness changes everything. Putting his life back together proved to be difficult, but Jesus restored him. And the greatest miracle of all, as this is written out of this book, are these miracles where people's lives are completely changed. Okay, we're talking about the difficulties we face in our lives, but there are people who are destined to an eternity in hell. If we want to pray for miracles, we need to pray for people to get saved, do we not? We need to pray for opportunities to touch people with the love of Jesus Christ. Because that's the greatest miracle of all. When you see someone who is addicted to those kind of problems and their life is a wreck, find hope in Jesus Christ and find healing. That's the greatest miracle of all. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be used by you. Lord, we want to walk with faith. We believe that you can do the impossible. Help our unbelief, Father. 
Father God, we ask for opportunities for this church and as individuals for us to share Christ's love with people around us, to see the miracle of your grace and of your redemption happen in people's lives. We ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. We're dismissed, right? Or no, prayer, I always forget that. Prayer request. Perfect time for us to pray about it.